Hey there, you're listening to the Not So Breakfast Show with Sasha Endish. Welcome to Not So Breakfast Show today. This is episode 98, and today we are talking about mining your past for content. I kind of want to say, hi ho, hi ho, it's into your past you go. And we've just lost everybody that's under, what, 30? (laughs) (laughs) I recognize it. I recognize that Snow White and those seven dwarfs, hi hoing as they go off to work. Amazing. That's it. And we're going to work by going back into our past and mining our life experiences, the things that we've done, what we've learned, all of the stuff that happens to us along the way is really useful for a number of reasons. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, it's also one of the things we talk about in the 30-minute presenter program because often when you get up to present, you're looking for a story or you're looking for a way to back up a point or you're looking for a way to just embed some learning and you are your own resource. There's a whole lot of stuff that you have done that is gold and we want to tap into that gold, don't we, Sash? Yes, 100%. I do not think any experience in your life is wasted. And that can be from the tiniest thing that happened to you on the way to work to a reasonably traumatic event. Now, I'm not going to suggest that what you need to do every time you speak or share in a meeting is like reveal your deepest trauma to people. Mm. It's not about that. But it is about saying, what can you learn from the things that have happened to you that is useful and of benefit to other people. And I've just come off the back of a whole shit ton of speaking. So I've been speaking. I, I don't think there's a single person in New Zealand that hasn't heard the story of my life. And in fact, I, I was in the Corrie Lounge after I'd spoken. It. I spoke at two events in Queenstown on the same day, went to Coro at the same time as the conference finished. So Corrie Lounge filled up with the people who'd been at the conference. And I sort of felt a little bit like it was embarrassing. I was like the queen because there were people, I mean, bless you, she's dead now, but there were people like lining up to get a word in either to, you know, whatever it was they wanted to say, which was really lovely, but I'll never do that again. I'll never be, because, you know, after you speak at things, you just want to be away from the people. You're like exhausted. You're any really good. You've given your heart and soul to the audience and you've been like quite revealing and telling stories, minding your past, all of that stuff. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you would then want to talk about it later. You actually just want to go into a little hole and not be with the public. Well, to get all inception on everybody right now, if you think about even the fact that Sasha had that experience, it just becomes something that you can then use. And even this week, I'm having a bit of frustration with someone. And I couldn't help myself but go, oh, man, I can't wait till I'm over it and I can just use this as a great example (laughs) (laughs) of of how to solve conflict, of how to reconcile relationships. Once you switch on that filter, you can't kind of switch it off, right? You you go through these things and as awful as they are, you kind of go, oh, that's going to be handy at some point. I think what it gets to is this idea that goes right back, you know, multiple centuries and generations, millennia, that how we learn and share experiences through telling stories, like fables and parables, how we get our best life lessons is from other people's stories, not from people preaching at us. And so as I've been doing all these conferences around the place over the last few weeks, what's really struck me, and I say this with love, is most of the speakers are really bloody boring, (laughs) like really boring. And I'm not I'm not meaning to be critical of my colleagues on the speaking circuit. If you are getting up there on the and speaking to an audience, all praise to you, right? Good for you. Amazing. Yeah. 
but do your audience a favour and tell them a story or crack a joke or be entertaining. Have some bloody life, man. Right? So, yes, listen to the 30-minute presenter program. I'm actually more attached to selling that program than I've ever been (laughs) now that I've come off the back of how awful some of these talks are. But the ones that seem to have energy are just when people share their truths, and yes, some of their academic research and some of the things they've discovered, but they share it through stories and through life experiences. So I reckon it's really useful to look back even just as far as yesterday and go, what did you learn from the things that happened to you yesterday? And are there any insights in that that could be shared with others that might be useful? Yeah, and you may think it's just a trivial thing, but even trivial things can become so interesting when you learn how to flesh them out when you start talking about what was happening on the day, what was the environment like, what were the emotions that were going on, why were you in that situation? Because what's interesting in the way that people relate to stories is if you tell me a story and I can't relate to it, as interesting as it may be, there is a bit of a disconnect. So if you've climbed Everest, I haven't climbed Everest. So yes, I might listen to that story and go, wow, that was amazing. But it's probably not going to be life-changing for me because I can't relate to doing anything at that level. But if you can talk about your commute to work and how you have used that commute to you know, develop your potential and your learning by using podcasts and, and online material, I can start to relate to that. And although you may not think that's interesting, the ability to make it interesting is the skill. But in order to practice the skill, you first need to identify what those little things are that are happening throughout your day that are nuggets and you can use them. So one of the ways that we've described this in the past is what happened and then what did you make it mean? So when an event happens, and we don't have to make it traumatic, but often trauma um, may happen to us. (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny about that? Honestly, I'm so tired right now. And I just think what we're saying, okay, don't mine your past for trauma. But if you've got some, that would really help. That would be helpful. Because, because I remember, remember when I was starting out on my speaker journey and I was like, oh, but nothing bad's ever happened to me. I can't I can't be a speaker because yeah. all the people on the circuit, you know, they've lost their legs in a train crash. They, they had frostbite and, you know, they, they have all these either afflictions or these terrible things that have happened to, to them. And so when I first got diagnosed with life-threatening cancer, I was like, yes. Finally, finally something terrible is happening to me and all I have to do is not die and I'm made. And then you've got the story, yeah, absolutely. So I think the default is trauma, right, and there will be meanings that we have attached around that, but then there'll be just other events that might have happened that we've attached a meaning to that have changed our perspective on things. Like one of the stories I talk about is my first day at school, like my mum took me along to school and dropped me off and then went to the supermarket. When she came back from the supermarket, I was at home watching TV. I literally (laughs) had enough of the whole school thing. And what was amazing was no one even knew I was gone when she marched me back into the classroom. They hadn't even noticed. And so there's a whole lot of meanings that you can... That's the 70s, people. Ish and I grew up in the 1970s. Things were different. They were different. You know, you could walk through town on your own across the main streets and break into your own house children weren't microchipped <laughs> like they are now but there's meanings that i've attached to that and and those stories can then be expanded 
or they can be shortened just to maybe bring up a point or, or enhance a point. So it's almost like there's a 30-second version of a story like that one, uh, and then there'll be like a three-minute version where you're kind of fleshing it out. Maybe you're around the barbecue and you're telling that story a little bit more uh, engaging, a little bit more interesting. And then there's like the 30-minute version, which is just spending more and more time and you're putting in more detail and you're, you're starting to craft an entire message around it, and that's kind of underpinning it. And, of course, you can go even further than that, but that's a really good framework to start with. What happened? What did I make it mean? How can I say it quick? How could I spend a bit more time talking about it? And then what's like the full blown story? I was at work the other day. May have been yesterday even. that I've lost all concept of time. And my work colleague, I'm not going to name her, she's got a beautiful voice and she's just humming to herself while we're listening to the music. We've got desks that are next to each other. And I said, hey, X, you've got a beautiful voice. I think for our end of year Christmas party, let's do karaoke. And she said, no, I've got a terrible voice. Mm-hmm. I said, babe, you haven't. You've got an amazing voice. You're a really good singer. She said, nope. When I was growing up, my sister told me I had a terrible voice and wow. I've never sung ever since. I'm like, wow, that's a story you've told yourself or someone's mm. told you as a kid. And to think that as an adult, we give our power away to the opinion of another child. So I said, hey, person X, I would love to pay for your therapy because you should get help with this because you are a great singer and I'd love you to be set free to sing. But then my colleague on the other side goes, oh, well, when I was growing up, my older sister told me that I didn't look good in shorts, so I don't wear shorts. I went, oh, wow wow, I'm going to pay for your therapy because people with or without legs should wear shorts whenever they want. Shorts are amazing. So then across the desk, the third colleague goes, well, when I was growing up, I said, stop, I'm running out of money for therapy, right? There's no money left for therapy. The fourth colleague goes, oh, I don't have anything like that. And and my child, and we went, because you were the sibling that was talking shit to everyone else. If you if you haven't caused the trauma, you are the trauma. But I think it's this fascinating idea of what happened to you and what have you made that mean through your adult life? And I think it's a really useful reflection for us to understand what things that might have been fed into us as children that aren't mm. true as part of the process. But also, if you've been able to overcome that, that in itself is a really useful thing to share with others. Because I was just struck by how so many of us get limited by things we were told as children, which is kind of not the point that we're talking about today in terms of how you use it. But as you go back through and look at what you believe about yourself based on what's happened to you, it's also worth exploring, you know, is that even true and does that serve you? And again, doing the inception thing, like what's what's actually happening sort of under the surface there, that's a great example of just an everyday story that is being used as a way to kind of back up a learning on on a podcast. That's that's literally live masterclass right there. And that's the technique and that's the information we're trying to get to. And it really starts by trying to, again, switch on that level of awareness. And I would suggest as a starting point is get yourself a journal. You can do it on your phone if you want, but sometimes just writing it down physically is better. And just start to kind of go through what are those things that happen? Like what has happened in the past and what did I make it mean? And then just start writing down the weird stuff that happens throughout the day, little notes um, I was reading my journal last night because I really write very bullet pointy. So I've got a <laughs> journal by my bed and I write in it when I feel like writing in it and I put a date and it's just like things like 
frustrating day to day, and then it'll have like XXX did blah 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 or something, or this was a great day today. I'm so grateful for this. But it was really interesting because it only took three or four words for me to remember what that experience was and for me to be able to go back to it. I didn't have to go in and craft the entire message in massive detail. As soon as I saw the date, as soon as I saw the entry and a couple of bullet points in the skull with the dagger in the eye <laughs> and that person's name under it, you know, I knew exactly what it was. And, and that can be useful. Yeah, I, I love that. What you're saying about writing, there's this whole neuroscience around proprioception that when you physically write things versus type things, it can be really powerful. I was just speaking at a meeting this morning of a group of uh, developers, in fact, and maybe three quarters of the way through. So they were all sitting around a big table. There were some phones out, one or two laptops, no notepaper, no pens, and really high level, great people, loved my time with them. I was referencing a book and one of them said to me, oh, Will we get notes? Will you send us some notes after this? And I went, are your hands painted on? <laughs> Is what? And I'm like, so you're sitting here right now with two hands, even one hand could type, no hands, get your nose involved, could have made a note, but thought that at the end of the talk, I might go home, type into, mm. I'm just like, come on. So, you know, I ca yeah. called him out on it. I'm like, and it, and it was kind of funny but it was also like instructive. And, and it is a great example of the way that you and I present. We have stuff on screen and what's coming out of us is on track and on purpose with purpose, but sometimes might be something that we're just exploring for the first time to back up a point. So if you compare that statement back to Sasha's point at the beginning around boring presenters, a lot of them just have all of their content up on screen, every bullet point, everything they're going to say, they're just reading it, and then they wonder why their, their audience isn't engaged. It's because they're going, well, I'm going to get this later. I don't even have to be listening to this right now, and why would I be? I may as well be reading a book. I've already read it. Super <laughs> funny. Cannot yeah. name the names. Somebody I know was in a talk, and oh, actually I don't care if he knows. The guy's called The Stress Guy, and he comes and talks about how to not be stressed out. Apparently quite good content, incredibly boring. And the person who told me about it said throughout the entire talk, their stress levels were just getting higher and higher and higher as they felt their time was being wasted, yeah. that it could have been an email. If you're going to just type your slides, just send an email, do everyone a favor. Unless you are going to bring a live performance why are you meeting with people in real life? Now, meetings can be discussional, facilitated, and you're yeah. sharing the stories. Good. Share the stories. Share the examples. Make the point. If it's a presentation, it better have some bloody bells and whistles on it. Well, when you start to look at your stories, your past, your experiences, and you start to craft content, you don't always have to be a hero. In fact, it's often probably better that you're not the hero. I think people will learn more from your failure and your struggle then they will often learn from the massive successes that you've actually had. So it's important to not just go, that's a good story because I did a great job. Where did you fall flat on your face? And how could you take that experience and use that as a learning experience for someone? Because one, it's relatable. Two, it levels you down to exactly where you are with your audience. And it's such good contrast rather than I did this. I'm great. I did that. I'm great. It's like, well, I might have done that, but here's really what it took to get there, and here's all the things that happened along the way. 
my dad, when he was preaching, he just used to say, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food. And there was something in that that is like, the person up the front is just like everyone in the audience. They've just got to turn at the microphone. And when you're in a meeting and you're sharing a point or illustrating your point by the use of story, you're no better, no worse than anybody else. We don't have much appetite for a story that goes, once upon a time I was born into a wealthy family, I inherited my father's business and I didn't ruin it. Go me! <laughs> kind of the elements that we're looking for in storytelling is a bit of struggle or a bit of surprise or a danger. Yeah. Or, and so when you're thinking about what happens to you on a daily basis, that there might be a lesson in it. I don't think it's so much about going back and saying, what happened to me that I can make a lesson out of? Mm. It's more about saying, what did I learn today? And what was the context in which I learned it? And that's the story. Yeah. Does that distinction make sense? Oh, it does, yeah. And if you look at any sitcom, any movie, there's like there's usually there'll be a struggle or a problem or or something that's happened. Like you said, if it's just hey, this happened, it was successful, and movie over, it's not like that. You know, it's the one where the guy meets the girl and then he doesn't get the number and then he turns up at the house and there's the girl and she's going to be marrying his brother or whatever it is, and and suddenly the the struggle starts and then the entire rest of the movie the episode whatever is resolving that struggle and and if you think about that within the stories that we create that's where the the coolness is the stickiness why we listen to people and sometimes we walk out of a presentation or a meeting we go man that was I really enjoyed that can't remember often what they said exactly but you remember these stories and how you felt and and that can back up the learning much more powerful than bullet point number three Why don't we just brainstorm a few examples of just everyday activities that could end up being uh, used as a story? Like what's happened to you in the last couple of days, Sash? Mm, I'm trying to think. I've been all over the country, so I've had a, quite a bit of travel. I've had some trouble booking in a repair person to fix my washing machine. And when I think about that, there's probably two or three things that come out from a customer service perspective that was really terrible, from a product satisfaction perspective that was terrible, uh, from somebody who I met that was really helpful. That That's an example that I could pull out in that instance. What about you? Can you think of any? We'll be right back. Do you spend too much time planning out and then freaking out about your upcoming presentations? then the 30-minute presenter program is for you. With our audio-based training program, you can literally learn the art of presenting while walking, driving, or even in the bath. Imagine Sasha and I right there with you. Well, not in the bath, but in your ears, unpacking our 40 years of combined experience in this impactful upskill. Learn to craft messages that matter, engage an audience, and overcome those nerves. So join the 30-minute presenter program. The link is in the show notes. Get started today. Yeah, I took the dog uh, down to the park and was basically throwing the ball. And it just occurred to me how obsessed this dog is with the ball. In fact, he's looking at me now because I mentioned the word, right? As soon as we were like, that ball came out, it was everything. Like walking down the path, just trying to jump up to get it. The focus, I took the lead off. She wasn't going anywhere until that ball was thrown. And as soon as that ball was thrown, it was all obsession. It didn't matter about 
any of the animals around, anything that was going on, it was just about the ball, and then bring it back. And just just seeing that obsession was just really interesting. And I thought, man, imagine being that obsessed about something that you could just be so focused, that you could eliminate all distractions and just be completely focused on that one thing for a moment in time. Uh, and how much more efficient, mm. you know, would you be if you could do that? So, I mean, you know, yeah, everyday example. I just, I just thought of one just then. When I go to Christchurch, I've, I've got a little apartment that I sleep in in Christchurch, and when I chose the bed for it, I chose a bed that's really hard because I'm getting old, and I'd read that the older you get, you should have a, for your back, you need to have a hard bed. So every time I stay in it, I'm like, shit, this bed's hard. I don't know about this. This is not, you know, it takes me a little bit longer to get to sleep because I'm a little bit uncomfortable. So finally this time when I landed in Christchurch on, it might have been Friday night, I was like, this is bullshit. So I drove to Farmers, bought a mattress topper because I'd stayed on a beautiful softer bed the night before in this hotel in Queenstown, went to the Farmers, got a mattress topper, put it on, climbed into bed and went, oh, that's amazing. And it just struck me how stupid I'd been for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks putting up with it, thinking like it's going to get better, it's going to get better. And I'm the one that preaches hope is not a strategy. And I was just hoping that I would adjust and adapt, and I just didn't, and I should have made the decision earlier to fix it. And I think there's a metaphor in that that's useful for life, how how often we don't take the action we need to take. So, yeah, that's just a little example of something that happened in the last 48 hours. All right, another one. Uh, I don't know what my osteopath looks like. So, oh. so he's been wearing a mask because I don't have to wear a mask, but he's been wearing a mask. His name's Adam if he's listening to the show. Hey, Adam. Uh, but I've just realized this guy's been like literally manipulating me all over me. I still don't know what he looks like, but we were having a conversation the other day that I just thought was a throwaway conversation. And it was just about Christchurch because he said he was going down there. And so I said, oh, you should do this, this, and this, and this. Go to coffee culture, I presume. Go to coffee culture. Go to Hamna. Do all the stuff that's iconic to Christchurch. And he was, oh, yeah, I might do that. Go back the next week. He goes, uh, and I said, oh, how was the trip? He goes, oh, I did everything you said. (laughs) What do you mean? He goes, no, no, like everything you said. Like, that was the plan. So suddenly this this comment that I had thrown out there of a few things to do, I thought, Man, if I knew he was going to follow it to the letter, I would have given him even more instruction. But, you know, how impactful that is. But I still don't know what he looks like, to be honest. So he's going to bump into me in the street one day and he go, hey. And I'll go, oh, hey, you. Oh, hey, hey dude. <laughs> what you should do is if you meet someone in the street and you don't recognize them, just ask them to feel you up. <laughs> and from their touch, you'll be able to go, oh, Adam, I'd recognize that touch anywhere. <laughs> you got me, babe. That reminds me, I went to a movie in Christchurch. Amazing. When we talk about, like, have you seen any movies lately, I'll be able to tell you about it. But before I tell you about the movie, the experience was there were four of us in the cinema. So a couple, me and one other person, and I was the only one laughing. It's a very funny movie, and I was laughing out loud. And I was just determined to not ruin everyone else's experience by not laughing. But then once I started to laugh, they started to laugh a bit more, but it was still super oops. Yeah. It kind of just got me thinking about what are the conditions that we need to have the freedom to express ourselves really fully? Because I was not laughing as hard as I would have if we'd been in a bigger movie theatre. And I thought when you go to a comedy, you should go to a packed theatre. And I actually thought if it was really sad, I'd quite like to be there just crying on my own. (laughs) 
Yeah, nice. So hopefully even in those little wee examples and ramblings that we're literally just making up on the spot, you can see the, the power of storytelling and the power that you have just within your everyday experiences and your past experiences. So we are going to plug the 30-minute presenter program because this is just a fraction of the information that we actually uh, unpack and explore in that program. Uh, we talk about how to do this as a skill set and give you some structure around it, but then how to tell stories and how to engage an audience and how to craft messages that matter so you can land your point and be interesting and not be one of those presenters that Sasha sits there and throws mental daggers at. <laughs> You, you can actually be really engaging just in a simple technique. Yeah, and just so that to be really clear that I'm not the hero of this, a few weeks ago I gave a talk and it was much harder than I thought it was. I just had a few technical issues with the counter. I got in my own head. It doesn't always go amazingly well for me. Let's let's be clear about that. Did the audience still get value? Yes. Did it go as well as I hoped? No, and I'll tell you some more about that on another day. All right, so I want to know about this movie, Sash. Okay, so one of the criticisms or observations that's been leveled at the Not So Breakfast Show is that we are very heteronormative, we're very, <laughs> we talk about our teenage children, and if that's not your world, that's really challenging. So I have been to one of the first conventional gay rom-coms that has been uh, released and it's called Bros. It's got Billy Eichner in it and Luke yeah. McFarlane. Luke McFarlane is the sexiest man on the planet. But the funny part of the movie that I just, it's R16, don't take your kids that are younger than that, um, you know, nudity in various bits and pieces, but it's very funny in lots of different places. But the funniest bit of all is that in America they have these Hallmark movies that are like Christmas movies and they've just got live to the fact that they don't have to only have straight people starring in their rom-coms. So the movie within this movie is all of these titles of the way different people fall in love. And right at the end, I don't think I'm ruining it for anybody, they have like the Hallmark Channel and it's a polyamory. So there's like a man and his seven wives or something. I don't know if they're a Mormon family or whatever, but it's called Holly Polly Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. Holly Polly Christmas. I enjoyed that joke very much. And so I laughed out loud and the three other people in the cinema did not. <laughs> Brilliant. I've been watching Gaslit lately. I don't know if, Ooh. I don't know if you've seen this. It's on the Nixon Watergate uh, scandal when you got impeached. I think you got impeached for that. Um, it's got Julia Roberts and it's really interesting. <laughs> There's one character in particular. Oh my goodness, like the scenes with him, they're so that it's what's that word? Juxtaposition. Like it it's yeah. so contrast between everything that's happening to everybody else and everything that's happening to him that you're just like, Am I even watching the same movie? It it almost feels like in um Dust or Dawn when they you think it's one movie and then it's another. And it suddenly becomes, yeah. Yeah, so they just keep bringing his character in and what he's going through. It's just crazy. But, yeah, it was really interesting, just, just a one-off mini-series. I'm always fascinated when I watch things like that that are about true stories. Mm. Is I always Google at the same time, like, how much of it is true. Yeah. So I think we have to be really careful when things are based on a true story. Often that becomes our fact-based for what happened. Yes. And I've been caught out before when I've, I can't remember, some historical movie when I've been like, yeah, well, la, 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 la. And then people are like, no. I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> so I'm always good to fact check how factual some of those, you know, based on true stories. Love it.